0: Any of y'all start quoting that from memory? Anybody? Yeah, a couple, couple, couple of y'all. We'll come back to uh, Full Metal Jacket in a minute. Uh, I want to start off just kind of going back over where we've been through, so far throughout this series. Uh, we started off looking at the theme verse for this series, which comes out of Judges 3 which talks about how you got the people of God who uh, after they'd come into the land and they'd fought to take the land, the next generation hadn't fought all the wars that the previous generation had, and God says, I'm purposely gonna put some enemies in and amongst and around you, so that you would always be on your guard, and that you would always learn how to fight, and that you would always be battle ready. Because over time, when for long times of peace, we tend to get very complacent. And we've seen that in our own country, we've gotten complacent during long times of peace, and then we get awoken and aroused to the fact that there really is an enemy around us. For us, in our generation, that was 9-11. and the previous generation, that was Pearl Harbor. And so it gets you back sort of uh, ready to face whatever may come. And So we've been talking about the need to get battle ready, then we've been pairing that together with uh, kind of the other battle ready passage in scripture, one of the primary ones out of Ephesians chapter 6, which talks about putting on the full armor of God. And we've been kind of going through and looking at different aspects of it, we'll pick that up again this week. And it's the passage that says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. So therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, take on the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so from that, we looked at the very beginning, is breaking down this passage, how the the battle we face is primarily a spiritual one, and you may think that your battle is against somebody at work, or against somebody in your house, or somebody's coming at you, but primarily the battle you face in this life is a spiritual battle, because you are a spiritual being uh, with an eternal... Uh, future and so the battles you face here and now are really spiritual battles about where you will spend all eternity and so we talked about the spiritual battle we need to have uh, and the primary focus of this passage is to stand firm uh, that when you go through a trial a battle that God puts you in the middle of uh, he wants you to stand firm in your relationship with him and that uh, we talked about in any relationship the true trust of any relationship is due as it remain after all of the battles that you have fought together have gone on and the question in your life is, do you truly love God or not? Because this life is about nothing more than a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that you'll enjoy for all eternity. And the question that God's asking is, do you really love me? When, when things aren't as easy, do you really love me? Are you really committed to me for better, or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness, and in health? Yeah, the marriage relationship is to mirror our relationship with God, It's to give us another experience of what that relationship is like and really know how, how tough it is to stay married for the long term and God says, I know, staying married to me is, is just as tough, and it's, pre- it's preparation for that. We see just how hard it is to stay that committed. And so will your love remain through that time? Uh, will your faith remain? Will your faith remain that God is always with you, that when the rotters rise, they will not overtake you, that God will never leave you, never forsake you? Will your faith continue uh, to believe that this life is not all there is? Will you be always looking for eternity? Uh, will your faith remain in God no matter what battle you go through? And so we talked about how through trials, uh, God wants us to stand firm, However, when we face temptations, the last thing we should do is stand firm. Nowhere does God tell you fight a temptation. Rather, he says run. Uh, I think the actual word he uses most of the time is flee, which is like, like get out of there and just drop what you got and, and run for your life. But better than running is what? Avoid it in the first place. Remember what Solomon said to his son if you were here last week? Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn from it. Go a different way. That's out of Proverbs 4. It says avoid it. Don't travel on it turn from it, go a different way. Why try to fight something when you don't even have to go there in the first place? That's the best thing you could do. Somebody uh, sent me a, a, uh, a link, I think it was uh, Jocko talking to uh, uh, Joe Rogan and talking about fighting and whatnot. He was a former uh, SEAL and he says, you know, talk about fighting, he's like, no, I just walk away. And the whole picture was I don't need to prove my manhood to some guy in a bar. Why would I do that? I just The best defense I have is just to run away. So here's a guy who could probably fight and beat up most people who's saying, why would I stand there and fight? I don't need to prove my manhood. What's it going to do? You know, at best, I win and I get sued. At worst, I find somebody stronger than I am. Why would I get in that fight? Just leave. I don't need to prove my manhood. And it's just funny. There's somebody saying the exact same thing. Um, And so God says to run or better yet, to avoid it. And there's two promises God makes to us out of 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, one is, I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And the second one is, when you're tempted, I'll provide a way out. Now, we have a lot of confusion between trials and temptations. And because we confuse these things, we mess things up. For the trial or the battle we face, we're to stand firm. For the temptation, we're to run. However, we tend to want to run from the trials we face in life. And when we run from the trials we face in life, we end up in a temptation. And then we get into that temptation and we think we're supposed to fight the temptation. He's like, no, stand in the trial, run from the temptation. If you stand in the trial, you probably won't end up in the temptation to begin with. Uh, and he says, I won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. We mess this verse up. And people sometimes quote it as saying, God won't, let you ha- you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. When you're going through a trial, I'm going to tell you right now, God will often give you far more than you can handle. I mean, that's, that's what he does all the time. Why? Because if it were easy, I wouldn't need God. You see, when I'm weak, when I, when I get pushed to my point of weakness, I then have to rely on God to fight battles for me. And God's like, I'm ready to fight a battle for you. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, not so fast. I don't think he did. Go back and read. God fought that battle. All they did was march around and sing. That's all they did. And God fought the battle for them, right? God wants to fight your battles. However, when it comes to temptation, so with your battles, he'll give you more than you can handle because he's gonna help you fight. When it comes to temptation, he says, I'm not gonna let you temp- be tempted beyond what you can bear. See how we confuse the two? We take that temptation verse and we call it a trial verse. But really what God's saying is you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you a way out. Something I didn't mention last week is how big the door is for your escape route can shrink (laughs) the deeper you get into this temptation. You with me on this? It goes from being a garage door size all the way down almost like a pet door you've got to squeeze out sometimes. It's there. You just gotta look for it, and be praying for the eyes to be able to see the way out. So with all of that kind of where we've been, I wanna go back to the list of the armor and kind of focus in on the very beginning of it and the end of it. On uh, the very beginning of it, he says, you know, that, so you can take your stand, and he says, put on the armor of God, and the first thing he mentions is the, anybody read in there? The belt of truth. So what is the belt of truth? What is, the tr- what is he referring to when he's talking about truth? What is that typically referring to, anybody? The Bible, yeah. Uh, he's talking about the Bible, the Bible as a whole. Uh, the truth that God has shared with us uh, over time, the revealed truth of God, everything that God speaks is true. So he's saying that we the very, the very foundation of the armor, everything rests on the truth. That is, when you, a couple things with this. Number one is that you have an understanding that the word of God is true. And by the way, I firmly believe that, which is why I preach differently than some other pastors preach. And what I mean by that is this. I rarely ever get up here and say, God says it, do it. Now, I firmly believe God said it, and I firmly believe you should do it. I don't have any problem saying that. However, because I believe that everything that God says is true, I recognize the very nature of truth doesn't need an authority to be true. Does that make sense? In other words, we've had had this issue in our country recently. We've had a lot of authorities tell us something that is true, and we go, "Eh, it doesn't sound very true to me, though. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm the authority. Listen to me. Uh, you see, if it's true, I don't need your authority, that's the nature of truth, right? Well, Newton said what goes up must come down. Gravity. You know, I don't need Newton to prove gravity. I don't need his authority. I don't need his credentials. I don't need his education. I don't need his title. I don't need his power. I don't need any of that. Because you know something? If I jump out of a two-story window, <laughs> truth hurts, okay? <laughs> I find that out real true. You see what I'm saying? Truth doesn't need authority. Why? Because it's true. Now, if you want to fight the truth, you're going to face the consequences. And I firmly believe what God says is true, and that if I fight what the Bible says, I will face the consequences. Romans 1 says it this way people exchange the truth that God has shared for a lie. In other words, they traded out God's truth for a lie, and they suffer the consequences because of it. That's what Romans 1 talks about. So you're welcome to go against God's word, it's just going to be like fighting gravity. Now, So what do I mean by that is, I don't have to get up here and say, God says it, so do it. I feel like because it's true, I can show you truth as it is. Now, I'll come back around and say, God does say it. I really recommend you do it. Why? Because the shortcut is if you have an authority you truly can trust, it's just to listen to the authority, if that authority is somebody you can trust. Is that fair to say? So we can go to scripture either way. We can either be looking for truth, we'll find God's word, or we can look to God and they will tell us what is true. Does that make sense? So the very foundation of your spiritual struggles, the very foundation of your spiritual battles is to recognize who is the voice of truth in your life. When you begin to realize the word of God is truth, that is the first foundation you need to fight any battle you're gonna face in life because you gotta know what is true. You gotta know what it is that you can lo- rely on. You gotta know what it is that's firm. You gotta know what it is right. And that is the word of God is what is true. So the very foundation of everything that you have, without that, you'll be caught with your pants down Right? Okay, so Word of God is truth. But what does he say at the very end? The very end of this passage, he says that um, helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Okay, wait a minute. I thought the belt was the truth. That was the Word of God. And now you're saying at the very end that the sword, that's, that's the Word of God. So which is it? Is it the belt or is it the sword that's in the belt? Like which, which, which is it? Well, for this, we've got to break down some things. And this is where sometimes you have to go back and you have to do a Greek word study to figure out some of these things. By the way, if you ever want to, you can do this on your own. Uh, if you go online to a website called biblehub.com, B-I-B-L-E-H-U-B.com, uh, in there, uh, at the very top, whenever you look up a verse, there'll be different menus. And one of the menus has the little uh, letters I-N-T, uh, which means interlinear, which is where you can go and you can actually see the Greek written right above the English. Really cool thing. And then what's really neat about that is each Greek word has a number next to it. These are called Strong's Numbers. Some guy named Strong years ago literally took the tedious task of numbering every single word in the Bible. I bet he was really fun to hang out with. So anyways, (laughs) he numbered every single word in the Old and New Testament, and they're called Strong's Numbers. And if you click on that little number, it gives you a link which will open up a dictionary definition of that word. So it's really a neat tool. So Biblehub.com. Uh, I encourage you to play around with it, look around on it, and you'll find. Also, when you first look up a verse, it'll give you all the parallel versions, like every English translation of the verse. You can look that up. A lot of really good stuff on Biblehub.com. But if you were to do that and you were to read here, and you would say that the um, uh, that the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, what's interesting is the the way that the Greek for word of God is unique here, uh, unique in comparison to most places we find word of God written. Typically, whenever you read the passage or read something that's translated word of God, it's either the Greek word graphia or logos. Uh, Logos, which means it's just the Greek word for word. Uh, If you read the beginning of the book of John, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus who is the living word of God. So that's just the word word is logos, is word. Uh, Graphia, it's it's, it's the written word of God. So like a a written, like writing out the word of God. So typically when when Paul or the other New Testament authors are referring to the Bible, they'll talk about the Bible being the Logos or the Graphia. In other words, they're talking about the little word of God or they'll be talking about the written word of God. The word here though is different, it's rhema. And only a handful of times is the word rhema used for rhema of God. So what is that, what is the rhema of God? Uh, that is the spoken word of God. So to speak the word of God, which is different than the written word of God. And because people don't understand this, they think that using the Bible as your sword means you pick up your Bible and you beat somebody across the face with it because, well, I'm a, you, oh, you gotta have my sword with me. Uh, it's not really what he's talking about here. He's talking about the spoken word. Uh, and, and to kind of put it this way, if you are holding your Bible in your hand, whether it be in a digital form or in book form, you have the graphia where you're looking at the logos. However, right now, as you're listening to me, I am speaking the word of God as I am speaking it to you. Does that make sense? So there's the spoken word of God, and then there's the written word of God. Here he's talking about the word that is being spoken, which as you put it together, you see he says, the sword of the Spirit. So this is so God's Spirit is in me and takes the written word of God that I have in me, and I'm speaking it out in the midst of this trial I'm going through. Does that make sense? So the picture of it here is the first part he talks about the belt of truth. That's where I believe the word of God is true and I'm standing on that. That's my foundation. Uh, That is what sets my understanding of life. However, there comes a time in the battle where you need to be able to speak the word of God in that moment. Does that make sense? So there's the general truth that I'm believing and that I'm standing on, but then there's the very specific Bible passage, so to speak, that I need to speak to in this moment. Now, other thing about this that I, I've heard some teachings on this. Some even first service was trying to correct me, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, well, this is the first offensive weapon in the. No, it's not. It's not the first offensive weapon in the battle in, in the in the armor. This is actually a defensive weapon primarily. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go back and you study Roman tactics, they would use a combination of the shield and the javelin to advance on a, on a position. Maybe you've seen some of the movies. Uh, they would all get in formation. They would all put up their shields, and they would take the javelins, which would poke out farther, and they would take steps like this to advance on a position with their javelin. Once they had the position and they were holding the position, these swords would be used to defend that position. And so most likely what Paul is talking about here, because everything in here is about stand firm, stand firm, stand your ground, stand your ground. Most likely he's talking about the sword in a defensive position so that you can maintain the ground that you're holding. And how is it that you maintain the ground you're holding in the midst of a trial? He says, unless you have the word of God that is actively on your lips, that is so full in your spirit that you can speak it in that moment, you're gonna have a difficult time standing in the midst of such trial. Does that begin to make sense now? All right, so what does this exactly look like? Uh, Jesus was the perfect picture of this. As Jesus is going through his uh, difficult time out in the wilderness and Satan comes to tempt him, why is the temptation not truly a temptation for Jesus? Because he's got the word of God on his lips every moment to fight against it before it can even become a temptation. The temptation doesn't stand a chance because the word of God is ready to fend off and poke away anything that's coming at him. Uh, The psalmist puts it this way. This is Psalm 119, 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's the perfect picture of your word I've hidden in my heart that it might not sin against you. In other words, because I've got these passages memorized, when I'm in the situation of temptation, when I'm in the situation where the trials gets difficult and I'm tempted to run from the trial to a temptation, I've got a Bible verse for it. And that's exactly what's happening with Jesus, remember? He was going through the trial and his main trial in life was to come live a sinless life and to die on the cross uh, for our sins. And because of that, at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord because he is now the King of kings and Lord of lords. What does Satan offer him? A shortcut to get out of that. Bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. In other words, instead of standing in your trial, instead of standing through the battle that you're here to fight, I'll, give you, I'll tempt you with a shortcut where you can run away from that and get the easy route out. And how does he keep from going down that path? With the word of God. And he speaks it out and he claims it and he stands on it and he's not going anywhere. So that's the picture of how this works out. So I could either continue to belabor this point or I'm going to go a different direction this morning. And that is I wanted to give you all uh, a picture or basically a list of all of the things that I kind of have memorized in my own life that have helped me along the way. Uh, I love the opening clip there from uh, Full Metal Jacket. That uh, rifleman's creed was actually written by a major general right after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, and I don't know the specifics about it, but I'm guessing our country was probably in a place of complacency for a while, and that sort of woke us up to the need to be ever ready. Uh, I've also heard stories, I don't know if this is true, that they've changed the way that uh, basic training was done in the Army uh, post 9-11 that uh, they had the rifle in the uh, recruit's hands for the time they show up their entire time through. Everywhere they go, the rifle was with them, whereas in the past, it wasn't always with them everywhere they went. I don't know if that's true or not. I've heard that. I'm I'm scared to death sometimes to preach any military metaphor in this church because y'all know far more about this stuff than I do. Um, But... Uh, a couple of lines out of there are, are just so perfectly applicable to this, where he says, my rifle is my best friend, it is my life. Picture this, for the Christian facing a spiritual battle, this is what the word of God is for you. I must master it as I must master my life. Without, uh, my rifle without me is useless. In know that your Bible sitting on a shelf without you reading it, useless. Your Bible on an app on your phone that you never open, useless. However, um, my life without my rifle is also useless. My life, without reading this every single day, is also useless. And at the end of this Rifleman's Creed, it wasn't in the video, it says, I will keep my rifle ready and we will become a part of each other. Is that not exactly what Paul is saying here when he says uh, the spirit, which is you know, the spirit within you, uh, that the sword is the spirit that's in you, which is the spoken word that's coming out of you? Isn't that a, a perfect picture of this, that it's becoming one with me? When these Bible verses become a part of the way that I think, they become a part of my life and what I believe and what I do, that's the picture of it. And every time you memorize a Bible passage, what that is, it's like, it's like you've added another bullet to your rifle. Uh, every time you uh, take that verse and you understand a little bit better, uh, it's like you have it all the more holstered ready for you. Every time you have used that in an applicable situation, it's all the quicker to be able to draw on that. And that's sort of the metaphor I would use here is you know, a lot of people have concealed carry. And there's question, you know, with concealed carry, you know, do you have your weapon loaded or do you just have, you know, your, your ammo in another pocket? You know, should it, should it be in the gun? Should it be ready and loaded? You I know, mean, what's the best thing? And most would say, if it's not loaded and ready to go, it's not really going to do you any good. And the same thing with the Bible. Just because it's in an app on your phone, if it's not loaded in your brain and ready to go, eh, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good, right? You know, when she says, hey, why don't you come over to my place, Netflix, and chill? Uh, hang on. <laughs> um, is there a verse for that? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you gotta be ready with it. So if you wanna pull out your phone, um, if you hit the camera button, don't take a picture of this, but if you just hold your phone up there with the camera open, a link will come up with every verse I'm gonna share with you this morning. Uh, and so whether you prefer the Graphia or the Logos, where you just want to read it, or you want to hear some spoken word, I'm going to be sharing with you. Just These are verses, this doesn't come out of the list anywhere. This is just simply out of the brain of your pastor, putting this stuff down. I don't know how I memorized all of these verses. I just know that at some point I heard them. They stuck, and they have done me well, and they have been used by me throughout my life. To avoid making a lot of dumb decisions along the way and so with that i'm just going to go through them as quickly as i can because i don't have a lot of time for all of them i may miss over some of them i want to go back to the story of cain and abel you hey, all been able to pull that up if you can't pull it up and you're a little more technically challenged if you just go to essentialchurch.com bible it'll also show up so you can go to essentialchurch.com bible essentialchurch.com bible and it'll show up if the whole qr code was a little too much essentialchurch.com bible the first one is out of Genesis 4 and this is where Cain is jealous of his brother and God says to him, Cain, if you don't do what is right, then sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you but you be, must become master over it. And it's this picture of, you know, what's the easiest way to keep sin from being crouching at your door? Just do what's right. If you don't do what's right, Sin is right there crouching at your door. If you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, Steve, sin is crouching at your door, and it's going to want to take you, but you better subdue this. You better deal with this before it becomes a problem. Keep the dog in the cage, right? You let it out, you're going to have a mess on your hands. It's better just to to keep the dog in the cage. Um, Hebrews 11. Uh, I don't always have this verse memorized exactly. It's the concept of it where in Hebrews 11, it talks about how Moses uh, looked at the pleasures of sin being so temporary, but the reward of God being eternal. And I love that picture. You can read kind of exactly how it's played out, but it just says Moses uh, chose to forgo the pleasures of sin, which were all temporal, because he had his eyes on the eternal reward. Because this life is about nothing more than a loving relationship with Jesus Christ and on joy for all eternity. The same picture of why would I trade something eternal for something that is so fleeting and so passing and so temporal. Um, I love the end of the prayer of Jabez. I know the prayer of Jabez out of First Chronicles goes something like, uh, Lord that you would bless me, that you would enlarge my territory. Uh, I know the end of it though is what I always think of and I quote and I try to quote it in the mornings, which is um, keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. That imagery right there. Because it isn't just about me that's at stake here. When you look at the people you live with, the people that you work with, your sins affect them. Because we all know you've been caused a lot of pain because other people chose to do evil things. Is that not fair? And not just talking about global, we were talking about people you work with. Your, your, your company boss, your CEO, does something unscrupulous, something evil, it causes everybody pain. Somebody you work with wants to be evil and mean and nasty, it causes you pain. Somebody you live with wants to be evil, mean and nasty, it causes you pain. And so he's saying, keep me from evil, that I might not be the one causing the pain. Uh, what a great prayer. What a great prayer to be thinking every morning. By the way, these are things that you could write down where you could see them every morning. You can put them as screensavers on your phone. Um, uh, moving on. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 uh, has this picture of taking every thought captive. I don't have time to go into that in detail, but just this picture of I need to take every every thought captive. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Uh, I love where he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is good for me. Then he says, you know, everything is permissible, but I don't want to be mastered by anything. So sometimes I get asked the question, well, you know, Steve, uh, they're making marijuana legal now, so is it okay to do it? You know, just because something is legal, I think the better question is, is it in your best interest to do it? I don't know. You need to answer that question. As for me, I've never done any substance that could be addictive, other than sugar. Um, Because... (laughs) I just don't, I don't want to find out. I don't know if I'm addictive. I don't know if I've, I'm going to be addicted to it. But you know something? If I just avoid it, don't travel on it, turn from it, go a different way, I don't have a problem with it. I, ju- I just don't. And so I don't want to be mastered by anything. I don't want to end up in an addiction. So like years ago, many, many years ago, I quit drinking for like 10, 15 years. Why? I didn't know I was allergic to beer. And so every time I'd have a beer, I would be throwing up. And so I thought like one beer got me drunk. And it, I had a really low tolerance, true. I was really light. I was like 125 pounds when I was in college. And so, don't ask me what I am now. So somebody said, well, you know, if you can get drunk that easy, maybe you should just quit. And I was like, okay. And so for like 15, 20 years or so, I didn't touch a drop. Why? Because I was afraid that I might get addicted to it. Now, is that extreme? Yes. But think about everything that's at stake. Is it not worth it? You know, which is why Jesus was asked, you know, what's the best plan? he says, cut it off. Cut it out, gouge it out. You know why? Why mess with it? Avoid it. Don't try. It. Yeah, on. Um, another great one. Numbers thirty-two, twenty-three. Every time you hear the little ver- words, it just says, "No one will ever know what happens in Vegas." I'll tell you the truth. Of God says, "Be sure your sin will find you out, flat out." You may think you got everything covered. You may think you've outsmarted the system. I even had people so arrogantly say, you don't understand, I've been trained in secrecy and espionage and I won't get caught. (laughs) That's funny. Because the word of God says, yes, you will. You may know everything to do, but you're not smart enough to keep on top of it and eventually this is going to come out and if God wants it to come out, I don't care if you're General Petraeus, it's going to come out. Some of y'all know the reference. Um, money i love dave ramsey's course uh for financial peace university years before dave ramsey's course came out there was something called crown financial the only thing i liked about crown financial it was long it was tedious it was like twice as long it was was kind of boring if you will but there were bible memory verses that we had to commit to memory every week we would come in we'd have to quote a the week's memory verse a couple of these stuck one of them was steady plotting brings prosperity but hasty speculation brings ruin yeah man you should get on the uh digital currency man it's all the rage you can make you know, tons of money. Yeah, but you know, steady plotting brings prosperity, but hasty speculation will bring ruin. It's what's kept me out of a lot of really bad investments. Steady plotting, just invest over time. Steady plotting, it's not fun, it's not exciting, it's not the latest craze, it doesn't have a big brag story. But you know something? There's a return. If you look at the stock market over any 20, 30-year period, there's a great return. Steady plotting brings prosperity. It's the word of God. It's thousands of years old. But hasty speculation, yeah, it's really exciting. You made a lot of money. Keep talking to me, though, about a couple months later and tell me what's going on with it. Yeah, it brings ruin. Uh, I also love uh, the one from 1 uh, Chronicles where David says, Wealth and honor come from you, O Lord, and in you is the power to make men great uh, and give them strength. It's this picture of everything I have only comes from God. And every time I want to think to myself, well, this is mine. I earned it. Let me place you in Nicaragua at our sister church down there with all your gifts and all your abilities and let's see how well you do. I guarantee you, you're not making what you make right now. If you're really successful, you'll be making five bucks an hour because most people are making $2 a day. Um, Proverbs 6, uh, this is the passage that Dave Ramsey does always quote. If you put up security for a neighbor, you find yourself in debt. Uh, he uses an animal. He talks about you need to be like the what? The gazelle. And what's the gazelle do when the cheetah comes? Run, baby, run. Seems like that's a pattern for God. Whenever you're in a tempting situation, what do you do? Run. If you're in debt, run from it, because that is a really tempting situation to suck you down. I put a lot of other verses in here in the same passage, or other ones I remember. Uh, go to the ant, O sluggard, and be wise. That's really uplifting. However, anybody ever trace how far an ant will go to get your food? I've got an ant problem in my house. I can't get rid of it. I've been, I've been tracing them. These ants literally, in their equivalent, are walking for miles to get your food. I mean, they're going up my ceiling, through my roof, down an outdoor column, out into my yard, down my driveway, out to the street, up the other side of the driveway, along my sidewalk to their nest. And I'm like, literally, I can't believe they're walking that far. But I tell you what, man, they get after it, don't they? (laughs) You want to know a a good picture? Look at the ant, because they're getting after it. They're they're making that. Uh, Then what comes after that is... uh, Uh, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? (laughs) A little sleep, a little slumber, and bam, poverty will come on you. Every time I want to lay in bed and just scroll through some videos, you know, that are none, you know, there's never ending, you know, TikTok reels, all those kind of things. How anybody anybody with me on this? Just time wasters? A little sleep, a little slumber. Um, All right, anger. Whenever I get caught up in the politics of something, this passage always comes back to mind out of Hebrews 13, 14. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. I'm looking forward to a home that's not yet come. Uh, I served as a volunteer as a church in Birmingham for a while, and there was so many things that were aggravating. And I knew that I was only there for a short while, and I'd be going on somewhere else eventually, and I just kept on this world's not my home. Don't get sucked into it. Don't get wrapped up into it. Some of you who are in the Navy, you're only here for what, one, two, three, four, five years? You won't be there for the rest of your life. This world is not your home. This command is not, this is not your eternity. Yes, it's frustrating and yes, it's aggravating and you can get so sucked into it, but just remind yourself, in two years' time, you're gone. You're gone, right? You know, whether you're on your last one or you're waiting for your next one, it's not permanent for you, okay? This world is not your home. And this is a reminder for me every time I want to get sucked into the politics of our country. This world is not my home. I'm not going to get sucked into this. Um, James 1.20, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think that I, you know, if I get angry and I, just like Jesus did, oh, I'm so incapable of being angry like Jesus because somehow my pride gets in the way, and me trying to use my anger is like a, t- a toddler pulling out a book of matches and say, "Is it cold in here? I'll warm the place up for you." That's your anger right there. Um, if you'll notice, this one is under anger. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's an anger verse, but i got to give you the context for it. Melissa put this verse in our kitchen when we first had kids. And the thing about the kitchen is it's where the chaos in the house is, right? Because you have to do everything for the kids, and they're, and they're constantly demanding, like, more, more. I need milk. I didn't get this. I don't want that. It's just, mm, right? And then they make a mess. They spill everything. They're just... They're, The kids are never more annoying than what comes to being in the kitchen. That was just my feeling. So, right behind the kitchen sink was this verse. "These, These are the children that God has graciously given me. And we would look at that verse and go, these are the children that God has graciously given me. Yes, yes I will because you're one of the children God has graciously given me. See how this helps? If you have that word in your mouth to remind you that these are the children of God, you prayed for this, all right? You prayed for this. (laughs) Forgiveness, uh, a quintessential verse on forgiveness, be kind and compassionate towards one another. Forgiving one another just as in Christ, God's forgiven you. How do you have the capacity to forgive? You don't outside of this verse. I don't. I don't know how you do it outside of this verse. The only way I can forgive anybody is I remember that Jesus Christ has forgiven me for everything. So I forgive one another just as in Christ, God's forgiven me. And how does he forgiven me? Psalm 103. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Gosh, that's a tough one. Because I want to forgive you but still treat you like you deserve it. But he does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's how he's forgiven me. Why? Go to the end of Psalm 103. Because he remembers how we're made. You got to remember the people in your life are not perfect and God didn't create them to be perfect. He can forgive us and not treat us as our sins deserve. Why? Because he knows how he made us. And we need to remember that, that too. Uh, when it comes to lust... Um, Jesus says, you know, the, that whole stuff about uh, it's better to lose a part, better to, to get rid of it than suffer with it. Uh, Job, I made a covenant with my eyes, not to look on upon a woman lustfully. Uh, it's one of those verses just to have memorized. Uh, Proverbs 5 and 7 have a lot of other great verses. I don't think they're quite sanitary enough to use on a Sunday morning. If that doesn't pique your interest, I don't know what will. Um, you can go and read Proverbs 5 and 7. Um, I love the passage. I love what Nathan. After Nathan says, after Nathan, after Nathan calls out David. David has sinned. He has had an affair with another woman, um, and Nathan is sharing to him what God is saying to him. And, and this is always stuck in the back of my mind, is where God says to him, "Have I not given you enough already? If what I've given you is not enough, I would give you more. And yet you went out and did this. It's just God saying, you know, if you're lacking in something, come and ask me. Don't go get it somewhere else." You know, if what I've given you is not enough, would I not give you more? That's just one of those, whenever you're in a situation where you have a dilemma and you're thinking about doing something you shouldn't do, just remember God saying, what, have I not given you enough already? And gratitude can really fight off a lot of your uh, temptations anyway. Uh, when life is hard, uh, when Job says, shall I, shall I accept the good from God, not the bad? Uh, my life verse, Psalm 27:13. For I would have despaired if I did not believe. I would see the goodness of the Lord once again in my lifetime. Uh, I have hung my life on that verse with everything I've been through, through death and loss. Um, Romans 8, 28 is a classic. Uh, we know God works all things together for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, I don't think that promise is just made for, that God made just to a certain group of people. I think that's the way God operates. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Uh, I've got a hope in the future for you. Uh, I love Joel 2.25, where God promises, I will repay you for the years the locust have eaten. Yeah, I know things have been hard and you've gone through a lot of loss, but just trust me, I will repay you for all this. I'll bless you for all this. Um, Romans 12, I don't have time to go through all of that. There's just, you would just want to pull some, you can almost memorize every verse of Romans 12, and it's a great memory verse. Uh, I mean, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, uh, share with people in need, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I mean, these are just like quilting verses all day long, right? Uh, like those verses Grandma puts on a quilt, right? Bless those who persecute, bless those do, re- uh, do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, uh, don't repay evil for evil. Um, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Don't take revenge, revenge is mine, says the Lord. I mean, those are not like... 1,001, great memory verses right there. Um, do, do not overcome evil, but be overcome evil with good. Um, Micah 6, 8, another classic. Uh, but what has the Lord asked of you, um, O oh child? Uh, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord your God. Uh, Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens and the work of, all you, of everything that you've done, who am I that you are mindful of me? I mean, if that's not a verse you need to, whenever time you look up and you look at the stars, that verse should just come to mind. Yeah, here I am on the midst of this small little pale blue planet out in the middle of this galaxy of universe, and yet you care about me and my life. Why? Why would you even care? It's, it's a very humbling moment. Um, Isaiah 40, for those who uh, wait on the Lord shall have their strength renewed. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, for I have called you by name and you are mine. You like, you're look at me like, wow, you got all these things memorized. No, these are like my memory verses. These are the things I've memorized. These are what I live my life by. It's not like I have the whole Bible memorized. Unfortunately, I have a group of them. But I'll tell you what, these have gotten me by through a lot of circumstances in my life um, all along. <coughs> uh, if anyone desires to come after me, must take up his cross and follow me. Uh, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever loses my life for, for me uh, will gain it. Then he says, for what can a man... Um, what, what, what will man get if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? You know, what does it profit you? What, what does it get you in the end if you sell out your relationship with God to pursue this? What good is that in the end? Um, and then Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, you're laboring in vain as you try to build. And then I love where he says, in vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, but he grants sleep to those he loves. You ever had those sleepless nights where you got stress all over you? All right, God, there must be something I'm doing here outside of you because you give sleep and I'm getting up early and I'm staying up late and it's killing me, God. And God's like, well, maybe you're doing something I don't want you to be doing right now because when I'm in it, it says, you know, you can watch out. The watchman up on the tower is of no good if I'm not the one defending this city. It doesn't doesn't help you to know the enemy's coming if I'm not helping you defend it um just a great great passages and you may have more um on facebook this week we'll probably put out there for you to share some of the verses that meant a lot to you these were just mine if you're looking for something to study to be battle ready i'd say start here uh look up these passages see the context in it do that as your daily study read the context of it commit it to memory take some of these put them in places you'll memorize them whether it be a screensaver on your phone write something out put on the dashboard of your car put it behind (coughs) your sink put on your mirror in the morning that's how you get these things memorized but without having them memorized, it's like being a concealed carry but not putting any bullets in the gun. Really, what good does it do? Hey man, I'm packing. Yeah, but what are you packing? Nothing. Nothing. I got the Bible app right here on my phone, man. I got it all ready. Yeah, but you don't know any of it. It's not any good for you. The sword is the Spirit of God speaking through you, speaking out the Word of God in the moment so that you might endure the trials that you face. We join with me to close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for uh, (coughs) this great reminder and encouragement that your word has everything in it we need to sustain a life of godliness. Your word is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and all all of our training and righteousness so we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But, Father, Sunday morning is not enough. Having a Bible app on our phone is not enough. It has to be something we commit to memory. It has to be something where I can hide your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. That I might be able to recall this to memory as quickly as it's needed every time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.